So we're going to continue our journey through Joshua. We're in chapter 11, and we'll hopefully plow through chapter 11 and 12 today. And uh, I'm trying to hold myself to this goal that um, usually takes me months and months to go through a shorter passage, and I'm trying to go through Joshua on the more of a rapid pace. But I'm thankful. I'm I'm learning. I want to be a student of Scripture, and I have a lot to learn. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful, God, for what was written in the past, the actions that were taken place and written down for our learning and our understanding, and that we could have endurance and hope in our own journey. And Father, this Christian life is a journey. Life in general is a journey, and the walk with you is to follow hard after you, to learn how to trust you, to obey you, and to see that you are faithful and good and that you will lead us. And just like you called Abraham away from what was comfortable, away from his family, away from what he knew, to a place he did not know, and he learned to trust you, and you gave him promises to his descendants, Lord. We want to learn to trust you and walk out this journey. We want to learn to take our inheritance um, that you've given us and that we're still learning to attain and acquire through trusting and obedience, through walking out this journey. And we're thankful for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we are in Joshua chapter 11, but I want to fill in a little bit of background and just keep reminding us that these people that are coming into the land, they didn't just come from nowhere. They have a heritage and a history, and it started with Genesis chapter 12 where God called Abraham to leave his country, to leave his people, and to go to a place where he would send him. And all of us need to remember that this is a a journey of moving, and it's moving from where you are. It's moving from the known to the unknown, moving from a place maybe where you become comfortable and you come become complacent to a place where you need to continue to rely and depend on God, and he said he would lead us. And so I'm just going to kind of rehash some of the things so that we have it in the context, and we could read the whole book of Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, to give us the background and numbers, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to pick some verses. So I'm picking up in in, uh, Genesis 15 just to show you that this promise that these people that are now 400 years later in the promised land where God brought Abraham. And God brought Abraham to that place and he said, I'll give this land to your descendants. And I want you to see that verse in um, Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, and I don't have time to read the whole thing. So I'm reading in where God met with Abraham to form a covenant with him, and this is what he said to him. Then the Lord said to him, Genesis 15:13, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish that nation they serve as slaves, that's Egypt, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. 
You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. So he's in the area of the promised land as God's talking with him and this covenant is being formed. And, he's, and God is telling him, 400 years from now, your descendants will come back here. This is their inheritance, this land, this area. And he says, in the fourth generation, verse 16, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full. And I just want to remind us that as you read about, I mean, granted, there's, this is brutal. War is brutal. Taking the land was brutal. In this chapter especially, they're coming to the biggest war of the, the book of Joshua. And he said, many times it says, and they took the life of everyone that breathed. And that's in the context of having 400 years, not that an individual lives that long, but that the grace of God, the revelation of God, the witness of God, they had 400 years to repent. 400 years to turn to God if they would turn to God. And so these aren't innocent people that are being taken over. This is all part of God's plan. And in the background of Joshua taking the land, it's the Lord that's taking the land. It's the Lord that's carrying out His sovereign will and His plan. And if you or I want to resist His sovereign will, it's not going to go well with us. And He will win the day, but we need to continue to recognize, how's it working for me to buck up against God in my day-to-day -day life? And how's it working for me when I choose to trust Him and obey Him and follow Him? So. I, as I read and I kind of refresh my memory, I go back and it's all about trust. It's about trusting God for each step of the journey. And I wish it worked this way, but last week's faith doesn't necessarily work for today's fear. I mean, in a sense it does because we're growing and we're building and we're learning but I have to, again, when I wake up in the morning, I have to face the day with faith. Fresh faith. Fresh love. Fresh passion. Fresh zeal. Fresh communication with the Holy Spirit. Fresh power. I can't rely on last month, last year, ten years ago. Each day is this journey. I'm, I'm moving forward. Otherwise, it just doesn't function with any kind of meaning and purpose it just becomes flabby and our faith is not vigorous and so I keep finding these verses about trust and so from Genesis I'm going to go to Exodus 23 and I'm just going to read this short passage what the promises that God had so that when we get to the land and they go into the land, there's this context. There's promises that have been given. And you're in a place in your life right now and you've been given promises. What have you done with them? What have you done with God's word that's been given to you? Are you continuing to grow and add to it, add to your learning and understanding and your walk with God? Or are you stagnating? So it says in Exodus 23:20, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you on the way to bring you to the place where I have prepared. God prepared a place. 
And it's interesting that Jesus tells his disciples, Do not be afraid. I am going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'll come back. And so when he says, I'm going ahead to prepare a place, pay attention to him. And listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will, I will be an enemy to your enemies and oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw them into confusion. Every nation you encounter, I will make your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. There again, it's an idea of little by little. In chapter 11 it's going to tell us this process took a long time. It says that Joshua battled for a long time. And I don't know how that um, communicates to you long, but the, the best estimate is about a seven-year period when they were just be, just going in and conquering the land. And the entering the land, chapters 1 through 5, take, conquering the land, chapters 6 to 12, and then distributing the land among their people is 13 to 24. So the process, up until Joshua dies at 110 years old, that process is still going on of, of taking little areas and conquering the land and distributing the land to each of the tribes of Israel. And that goes on right into the book of Judges. But it's all about trusting God. And I go forward, heading toward Joshua still, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, where Moses was recapping to the Israelite people. Recapping Numbers 13, when they, they were taken out of Egypt, and they went right up to the edge of the Promised Land, they sent the spies in, and they got a bad report. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses is just recapping that history for them. So I'm just bringing us right up to date. And that's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 29. We're not reading the whole thing, just bits and pieces. So Moses is recapping to the people what took place. And he's, then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way until you went, until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and a cloud by day to search out the places for you to camp and to show you the way that you should go. And so he tells them, this is what took place. These people, your forefathers, did not trust God. They were on the edge of the promised land 40 years earlier. And they didn't trust God, so God sent them on a journey. 
of about 40 years till everyone that was military age died. And so now the new people that are coming in. But again, it's about trust. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 23. says this, And when the Lord sent you out from Kadesh Barnea, He said, Go up and take possession of the land I have given you. And I hope you keep hearing that God has given them this. There's possessions... And I, when I think about Joshua, I keep thinking, how do I relate it? How do I apply it to today, right now? And I would think, you know what? What's your possession and your inheritance? God's not promising you that land over in Israel. It's not your land. But you are given some things as an inheritance. And I wonder if you're applying them. I wonder if I'm applying them. One of the things that we've been given, forgiveness. Think about the power of forgiveness. That's yours in Christ. It's mine in Christ. Redemption, reconciliation, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, fellowship, prayer, worship, communion. Those, that's our inheritance. And some of us are still yet on the verge of trusting God enough even for forgiveness, trusting God with our lives, our brokenness, our fear, our pain, our relationships. And so there's the correlation for me. This was a promise that God gave them. Are you entering in? Or are you just standoffish and you look at other people's lives and you just look with envy, but you're not inheriting anything because you're not moving forward in trust? And so as we see this, it seems to me that God continues to invite them to trust and remember what he's done. And so in uh, 9.23 of Deuteronomy, he says, Go up and take possession of the land I've given you, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You did not trust him or obey him. You have been rebellious against the Lord ever since I have known you. And it's interesting in... Um, Psalm 20, verse 7, it says, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the Lord our God. And chariots and horses are big in this. And that's something to think about. How there's a handle these different things that when they take ground. And then when we get further into Scripture, and you don't need to turn there, but I'll just read this. Out of Jeremiah, you can write down the section, Jeremiah 17. Again, an idea about trusting God. It says this in Jeremiah 17, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Basically, trust in man or trust in himself. Who depends on flesh for his strength. And whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wasteland. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in parched places of the desert, in the salt land where no one lives. But, verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And to get your heart tuned to God, it's about learning how to trust Him in your situation. Trust Him with what you're going through. Trust in what He's promised in your inheritance of forgiveness and redemption, the gospel of Christ, new life in Christ. 
And so otherwise we end up just trusting in ourselves. And he says, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree. And the comparison here in um, Jeremiah 17, one is a bush in the wasteland. The other is a tree planted by water, which sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. But the very next verse says the heart is deceitful above all else. The idea is will we trust God? So when we're reading, now we can turn back to Joshua chapter 11 and pick up our story. But the backdrop is God has given them promises. These are people who have wandered in the journey, wandered on journey for 40 years because of the disobedience of their forefathers when they were standing on the edge of this land. Now they've entered in. They've crossed the Jordan. They've taken Jericho. They've taken I. They're learning to trust God. They're learning to trust Joshua. And in chapter 10, they defeated many kings. And now the journey goes on. They defeated the... There was two groups of land. When Joshua went in, he went into the center. Now, I'm gonna, I know that you can't see this. But um, if you look, if you look at the back of your bulletin, there's a blank sheet of paper, and if you could just draw a line right down the middle representing the Jordan River, I'll do this in a simple outline form, so it'll help you. Because when we go into chapter 11 and the rest of the book, we want to learn, have a, at least a little bit of a visual picture of what's taking place. And so up at the top. Um, I wonder if I can get those chairs, Phil. Sorry. Maybe I can I can just use one probably. I bet it would work. Hold this up. Yep. So I understand that you can't see this because I already checked. But you can see a line right down the middle, and I'll tell you what that line is. It's the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is what they crossed to go into the promised land. Okay? And maybe you can see some letters up there. I'm just going to take a few minutes to fill this out to give you some point of reference as you think about the big picture of the promised land. Okay, Over here on this side is the Mediterranean and over on this side is the Gulf and all the way over here the, the uh, Euphrates River and Egypt is down there. They came up out of Egypt and they crossed the Jordan to go into the promised land. So here is the, the Lake Hula, the Sea of Galilee, and then the Jordan River extends down to the Dead Sea. So all of this is the Promised Land, 330,000 square miles, which they never totally inherited, and there was much more. And I think about, you know, what do you have in store for us, God, in the inheritance of what's promised to us? Forgiveness. Love, hope, joy, peace, reconciliation, reunion, fellowship, prayer. Have you tapped those things? Have you tapped into them, period? And so as they move into the land, and, you know, up here is Damascus. 
And we're going to start in chapter 11. It's going to talk about a king of Hazor. Hazor is right here. So you, no, I'm sorry. Hazor is right here, just below the Lake Hula, just above the Sea of Galilee. This is where this king is in the northern territory. He's going to invite all these other kings and all this other area in the north to come together as a coalition by the waters of Merom. And that's what it says in the chapter. The waters of Merom are right here. And then this is Gilgal where they crossed over. They're camped at Gilgal. And at the end of some of the chapters it says, and they returned to the camp at Gilgal. This is Jericho where they took over. And this is Hebron down here. Mount Hermon up here. Damascus is up here. And so this is just a general outline so you have a frame of reference when you're thinking about he's talking about because it's very specific and there's names that I can't read, that you can't read, that we don't know, we don't understand. And every once in a while you'll see a name that you do know. So you're going to see the, the word Kinnereth. And that Kinnereth is another word, another name of the Sea of Galilee when we read that in just a minute in chapter 11. So they went into the promised land, and then they began to distribute the promised land. So this is the tribe of Reuben. Remember, there was the tribe of Reuben, tribe of Gad, tribe of Manasseh, on the east side of the Jordan. But they could leave their families and their flocks there, but any of the people that were of military age had to cross over the Jordan River and help settle the land before they were able to settle their own and, and go back with their family. So it just makes me think about what an idea. Before I get myself settled, what if I'm also working on my brother, my sister, helping them get settled in the land and learning how to war, learning how to rest, learning how to trust. And so this is Reuben, Gad, Manasseh. And then the rest of the tribes are just dis, dis, uh, distributed. So I want to draw another line right here. There was a line where Joshua came in, and the Israelites first took the center. Okay? So they first conquered this area where Jericho, Ai, Bethel, some of those cities, and they camped at Gilgal. And then they moved to the south, and they took over this land. And then now they're moving to the north to take over this land. There was 15, uh, let me jog my memory. There was 16 northern kings and 15 southern kings. And that's listed in chapter 12, one at a time, those kings. We're not going to read about all the battles. We're just giving a brief shot. We're getting a brief shot of the conquering of this land. And sometimes it makes us think, wow, they just slaughtered everything, everywhere. No, he's giving us a list of some of the bigger cities. And so up here to the north, when we read about Hazar, this king and this, this city, they say, is about 200-acre city. It was massive. A lot of these cities are just small, small cities, small walls. Some of them are huge cities, huge walls. But there's differences, and then there's people groups, little people groups living throughout. And we're reading about them conquering some of the cities. So the king of Hazar called all these other people to gather against Israel. 
He's the king of the land, but he just rules by fear. I'm not sure these people could work together unless they had a common enemy. And that can get really interesting when you think about it. Somebody might invite you. Come along with us. Let's lay in wait for somebody's blood. Let's waylay some innocent soul. Something you may, you might never do. But if you're invited to go with somebody else and they put fear in your life, you might join up with them. Something to think about. So as Joshua was conquering the land, said specifically several times, don't make a treaty of any, with any of these people. Because if you make a treaty with them and you leave them, what's going to happen is some of these people practice child sacrifice. Some of these people practice all kinds of horrible sexual practices, bestiality. And so he said, if you leave these people in the land, they will become whips and snares for you. And they will lead you away from worshiping the Lord. So you make the correlation. You, you, you're teaching somebody about the Christian life. Don't tell them you're going to be pampered in this Christian life. Tell them it's going to be a war. And you're going to have to continue to walk. You're going to have to continue to take responsibility. You're going to have to pray. You're going to have to read the word. You're going to have to forgive your neighbor. You're going to have to love your enemy. You're going to have to give to him who asks. You're going to have to continue to walk off this Christian journey. You're going to have to take the land. And I thought, well, what if this is the heart? Joshua took the heart. And we, we, you know, and I give my heart. I give my guts to God. But I only give them half. And so I'm half-hearted. And I thought about, well, maybe down here, maybe this is the feet. And rather than governing where my feet go, do not let your feet be drawn toward evil. I'm not watching over my feet. And my feet are taking me places I shouldn't be. And then I thought about the top part. Well, what if, I, what if this is the head? This is where I'm thinking. And this is where I'm planning. And this is where I'm scheming. You can read a lot about plans and schemes in the scripture. So it's strategic. It's a military campaign. It's led by the Lord God. He promised again and again that you're going into the land to take your inheritance. And so when we look at that, there's a lot to learn and to think about. A couple of other things. So this is the east. This is the west. This is where these they first conquered. They came up from Edom and Moab, and they had to fight their way through. And on this side, in Deuteronomy chapter 3, it says there were, there were over city, not city, 60 cities. 60 cities taken on this side as they moved toward the land. So if you're wondering where do they get the food to live on, well, they kept conquering cities, they kept taking plunder, and so they move into the land. And now there's 31 that are named in chapter 12, and there's many more. But you're talking about geography, you're talking about places. Roughly from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, and I know you could have the exact detail today of the mileage. I do not know that. I only know an estimation because it slowly gets narrower as it goes up. So maybe from, from about 40 miles to 15 miles wide depending on where you're at. And on this side, the desert is here. And then you go have to go way over to uh, the rich land where Babylon is to find water again. 
There's some rivers and some springs, but this is all desert here. From north to south, about 150 miles. So you're looking at that. So now with that background, let me just, we'll be done. I just want to read through the chapter. So you have at least an idea of what's taking place. Like I already said, I've been practicing pronouncing some of these names. I'm not going to do that well. And if somebody thinks they can do, I mean, not as a challenge, but I mean, if there's somebody who can read them better than me, I'm all for that. But I will work my way through because I've been practicing. Okay. So when King Jabin, king of Hazor, where's Hazor? Right at the top of your map, way up here. Okay. This is the tribe of Dan. Check this out quick just so that you can see because I know you can't read it. Tribe of Dan, Nephtali, Asher, uh, Zebulun, Issachar, Manasseh, because there was a part of the tribe of Manasseh crossed, part of the tribe of stayed back, Ephraim, Benjamin, Judah, Simeon, and another part of Dan right there. So that's how it's divided up. And that's some of the areas we're going to recognize here. So the king of Hazor heard. He heard about the southern campaign. And he got nervous and he gathered all the troops that he could from the northern campaign. And the northern kings were in the mountains in Arabah, south of Kinnereth. South of Kinnereth is a Sea of Galilee. So this whole area, he said, hey, let's gather together to fight Joshua. And they met together at the waters of Moram. And so it says there that they were soldiers like the sand of the seashore. So it was a multitude, a multitude, a huge group of soldiers to gather together to fight against Joshua. In verse 4, they came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army, as numerous as the sand on the sea. All these kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Moram to fight against Israel. Verse 6, then the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I keep hearing that in my own life, and I need to hear it again and again. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You know why? Because there's ca- there should be cause for fear in your life. If there's not cause for fear in your life, you might not be doing anything worthwhile, worth fighting for, worth striving for. Do not be afraid. Of them, he says, because by this time tomorrow I will hand all of them over to Israel slain. Now, Joshua, he's been learning to trust God. And a couple times we saw that they didn't ask for God's direction, didn't ask for God's help. They got fooled by the Gibeonites. And they got fooled when they tried to attack Ai. And they didn't know that there was sin in the camp. So God promises them this. You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Merom and attacked them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. They defeated them and pursued them. Down through the valleys, Joshua did to them as the Lord directed. He hamstringed their horses and burned their chariots. At that time, Joshua turned back and captured Hazor. He put the king to the sword. Hazor had been the head of all these kingdoms. Everyone in it they put to the sword. They totally destroyed them, not sparing anything that breathed. He burned up Hazor itself. Joshua took all the royal cities and the kings and put them to the sword. He totally destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. 
Yet Israel did not burn any of the cities built on their mounds except for Hazor. Now remember, Hazor is the one in charge. Hazor is this big problem city. He's the one who invites everybody else to come in. 200 acre city roughly. They burn it to the ground. But the other cities that were up on mounds, the smaller cities, they, some of them they burned, some of them they didn't burn. So Joshua took, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm picking up at verse 15. As the Lord commanded his servant, he com- as so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone that all the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took this entire land, and you can read the description there. Verse 19, except for the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites who took them all in battle. Verse 20, for it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he, he meaning the Lord, might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then you can read in Joshua chapter 12, He's going to give the list of the kings one after one after one after one until you come to 31 kings. And that's where we stand. But just a couple of closing thoughts. It's very interesting that three times it mentions the chariots and the horses. Now, I was kind of racking my brain. What would that mean comparable to today that if they they were to burn the chariots and hamstring the horses... And if I understood it right, hamstringing the horses, a military horse that was built for charging and pulling and powerful, you hamstring them, it doesn't kill them, but it incapacitates them for war. You can no longer trust that horse to be a war horse. He could probably pull a small plow and do a little gardening, maybe carry a person, but he's no longer a war horse to pull a chariot. Why burn the chariots? That's the one thing they feared. And the thing that you fear is sometimes the thing you could, you could get tricked into trusting. And so if they have the horses at their disposal and they have the chariots at their disposal, it's highly likely that very quickly they would have brought their trust from God and turned it on to chariots and horses. And it made me think, Lord, what am I trusting in my life? What has become my chariot and my horse? rather than trusting you. Because it's very interesting that in the other battles we read about, it tells us specifically how God entered in and did a miracle. Here it just says Joshua attacked them, and the Lord delivered them. But it doesn't talk about the bees going before them. doesn't talk about hailstones. doesn't talk about God pushing down walls. But it says the Lord delivered them into his hand. And hamstring the horses, burn the chariots. So he just thought about what are we trusting? What might we be trusting in? And how is Joshua applicable to our daily lives to move into what God has for us and to face the battle that he will fight for us as we trust him? As we trust him. Where are you stuck in your life of moving forward? In any one of those areas of your life? in relationships, in your prayer, in your time in the Word, in your time of learning how to love people sacrificially? Are you taking land? Are you learning to trust God or have you began to trust in something else? And if these people would have left those horses and those chariots, no doubt 
they would have began to trust them. They could have easily trusted them because horses, aren't they a symbol of power and strength? How quickly you can move from one place to another? Think about the rationalization. Oh, we should keep the horses. We should keep the chariots. Just think how that would help us. And your, our, our reliance, their reliance, moves off of the Lord God Almighty and on to those things. What that might be in your life, what that might be in my life. Father, thank you. God, thank you for this letter, this book, this history, this example of people learning to trust you, the example of your provision, your capability, your work, even your mercy, in allowing these people to live in that land for 400 plus years, practicing things that are abhorrent, practicing all sorts of um Horrible things. And yet you were patient with them. And you were gracious to them. But Lord, your word teaches us and your character shows us there's a point where in life that your justice and your judgment eventually eclipses your mercy? What does that mean and how do we understand that, God? Because even as we look through the Old Testament, you sent plagues through the tribe of your own people. They strapped on swords and they killed their own brothers because they were involved and engaged in sexual immorality and worshiping the idols that Aaron had made. And you continue to draw a line between those who will faithfully follow you and trust you and those who are learning to trust you and those who refuse to trust you, those who rely on themselves. Help us to learn. Continue to teach us, God. Open up our eyes and our hearts to this book and your book and then to practice what we learn and to apply it to our daily lives. Help us to take the land. Help us to take our inheritance. Help us to apply those things that you've given us, that you promised us. And help us to delight in your presence daily. In Jesus' precious name, amen.